Hi, this is James Devine, and I am an educator who has come out of the trenches. Listen in as my friend and colleague Dana Goodyear shares stories and tips from other educators who have come out of the trenches. Welcome to the Out of the Trenches podcast. This is Dana Goodyear. Thanks for listening. My next guest is Mark Taylor. Mark has been a professional percussionist for 25 years and has had the opportunity of performing with some of the UK's finest orchestras and theater companies. Finding his passion and voice through music gave Mark the desire to share this understanding through his drum and percussion teaching, which he provides in schools and in his private practice. Mark wanted to share the creative and inspiring learning he was witnessing in schools from his experience of delivering whole class music workshops around the country. This was the start of the Education on Fire podcast in December 2016. The podcast has now released over 350 episodes and has been downloaded in 147 countries. Simply put, Mark interviews educators from around the world so that he can enable you to support your children to live, learn, and grow to their fullest potential. Welcome to the podcast, Mark. Oh, Donna, thank you so much. I'm really looking forward to, to having such a wonderful conversation and we all have our struggles. So yeah, it's yes. always great to sort of air those with everybody. Well, we'll start off with that struggle that you had. Uh, tell me about a time when you were in the trenches and managed to crawl out. So as you mentioned there, I was um I was doing sort of whole class um music workshops and I was also then at the time working for um a music hub, which is sort of um kind of like a I guess like a state situation where you are in, in America, um going into schools and delivering workshops and, and also doing some sort of individual drum lessons and percussion. Um and I kind of felt like my hands were being tied in, in that kind of being in the trenches because I wanted to to get involved in that more and more. It's the first mm-hmm. time I'd really sort of stepped into into that teaching in in, in that kind of way. I've been doing I was doing it for sort of two or three days around my other professional career. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wanted to give back because I had such a great experience when I was learning to play and being in school in, in that kind of sort of teenage kind of years. But what I found was was that mainly because of um the arts cuts which i think is sort of globally these days you know there was a lot of focus on maths and english so there were lots of times when we couldn't teach and then one day it was that kind of i'm really sorry but your room that you were teaching in last term has now become um a canteen a kind of a a sort of a part of a staff room um Mm -hmm. and could you teach you know these three children under the staircase and i thought with the greatest will in the world, yeah. that's going to be really difficult, both in terms of being able to be productive and also the noise situation and just kind of gave me a real sense of of where the school was in terms of what they were expecting for music, what they thought it was giving their children. And I just thought, actually, they are getting something out of it because I'm here. But I think for my sort of longevity in terms of being able to give back, then something's going to have to change. And so that was my sort of starting point for for looking at different schools and different situations to be able to kind of make my version of education a little bit different. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And, um, you know, just kind of finding your way, I would say, in those challenges um, that many of us face um, when there isn't funding given to your particular area, right? Um, I taught um, an elective as well when I taught French and, you know, there were cuts at some of the schools I worked at as well. Um, but it's also, you know, finding ways to teach those kids, like you said. So um, I wanted to talk a little bit about some of the um, things that you've been doing as a musician. Um, you still play professionally. 
Um, so what is something that you do kind of on a regular week's basis in terms of both teaching and playing professionally? So um, teaching, I'm actually working in three schools currently, okay. which kind of takes me two, two or three days a week um, where I've got some sort of group coaching within that school. So we've got like a percussion ensemble that's able to sort of bring everyone together to do those concerts mm -hmm. and then individual drums and percussion. So some of my youngest ones are kind of sort of six, seven years old. So they start okay. really quite sort of small in that sort of prep area um, all the way through to sixth form here, which is kind of 17, 18 years old. Okay. Where we're suddenly doing a large scale sort of percussion ensemble with lots of instruments and a whole kind of percussion suite from that point of view. So that's a really nice range in terms of sort of boys and girls and also that age range and that sort of different sort of demographics, um, which I which I really enjoy because I think it's mm -hmm. sort of mixing all those things together, which is really good. Um, professionally, I'm freelance, so it really mm -hmm. sort of goes... Um, sort of swings and roundabouts one minute you're playing at the royal albert hall i've done quite a lot of work with the english mm. national ballet there they do some great ballet in the rounds in the albert hall which is an amazing thing and um, the royal shakespeare company has always been a fantastic organization to work for so i get to do some of those amazing things um and then at the same time you have these sort of one-off concerts which might be slightly smaller venues or in, in a church there's lots of great concerts goes on with sort of core societies where you're sort of mixing kind of the singing in the orchestras together so yeah sometimes it's very busy doing one of the things sometimes it's kind of a real mixture of everything mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah and like you said it's uh kind of the demand right uh throughout the year yep. of course uh the holidays i'm sure you get more engagements the maybe sometimes <laughs> in the summer right when they have more concerts outdoors uh so it's it's that ebb and flow right but um you you feel like it's now um kind of gotten to the point where um you have that good mix between the teaching and the performing and then the podcasting yeah, I, th I think that's true. I mean, one of the things that we decided when we started having a family was that kind of our days of touring around the country, being in a different city each week was something we weren't going to mm -hmm. do. We'd be able to sort of be at home more because the education, one of the things we're sort of quite keen on is that kind of community aspect, you know, whether it's parental, whether it's the schools, whether it's sort mm -hmm. of people around you. Um so yeah, so I think now that mix of the teaching, the performing in those areas, like and like I say, the seasonal things are uh, really sort of great example. You know, Christmas is usually always really busy being doing a Christmas show or whatever for a few, a few weeks. And uh, like I say, the sum summers are often busy with summer opera and that kind of thing. So yeah, it, that kind of ebb and flow is quite good because you know you're going to be busy for one particular area, but you can then kind of make that difference um, when you know that the, like say the off season, as it were, certainly January, February is usually much quieter, but from a, a podcasting point of view, that's great. Cause it means I can schedule recordings mm -hmm. and I can get to have all those conversations and fit those around as well. And, and, and the, the podcast really sort of came out of that idea of, like I said, going and doing those workshops, you'd sort of see those teachers who were really sort of despondent because as we all know, we get into education to make a difference and there's so many other factors which kind of stop us from doing that and that was just mm -hmm. uh, an opportunity I felt um, being in so many different environments I could say well I understand your frustration here but I know this school over here is doing some amazing things or this charity is providing something in this particular school or this organization so yeah just wanted to be able to share that and that was kind of that essence of coming out of the trenches in terms of mm -hmm. what I was able to do is kind of change my my focus on what it was rather than just being despondent about maybe, like I said, the cuts or the way that my sort of teaching was going. I could mm -hmm. bring in the spotlight to some of these really positive things that were happening, get to chat with lots of positive people who were bringing their energies to education in a different way. And I think 
it's probably that sort of performer in me which likes the podcasting and the chatting and the, the live streaming and that kind of thing and that sort of took me there so like I say yeah those three is a mix is a is a really sort of happy place for me now mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so let's talk a little bit about the education on fire podcast so um when did you start it um how often do you broadcast and uh what is the goal of the podcast so it started back in December 2016, mm-hmm. um, which seems like a long time ago. Yeah, <laughs> um, pretty much. And yeah, and like I said, the, the focus originally was just to sort of help that teacher in that staff room. But one of the things that started to develop as it got um, older and, and I got more experience was the fact that everyone was talking about, you know, being supportive for the child in the heart of it. So whether you were mm-hmm. a teacher or a parent mm-hmm. or whether you were a fantastic author and you had something else to give in an educational sense. So so it sort of broadened out a little bit to kind of speak to anybody who's able to help people support children to, as you said, to sort of live and, and grow and fulfill what they'd like to do. And I think being a musician, having that sort of passion for what I was really enjoying is something I like to be able to sort of spread. Um, we release it once a week, um, which is great. The episodes are usually around sort of um, anywhere between sort of half an hour to an hour depending on, on where we sort of go with this sort of conversational feel as mm-hmm. you can probably mm-hmm. hear from the way that I like to chat and, and talk about those things um, and then one of the things that I've just started doing is to be able to bring this idea of live streaming into it as well because as, as you all know it's fantastic having these conversations and we have a great conversation but people listening don't necessarily have that opportunity to kind of chime in there might be something they're thinking they could just ask a mm-hmm, question or mm-hmm. or they'd like to sort of put a comment in as well so um the education on fire on, on youtube which i'm doing is sort of a live podcast or as a live stream just enables me to kind of have these conversations but people who want to comment ask some q a i can bring those comments on and i can sort of be more of a mediator as it were between those things and sort of bring a community together and we can sort of have these sort of hangout kind of conversations as well so that's sort of an exciting sort of new prospect and i think you know as we're here sort of talking on video as well it's sort of a, an opportunity for us to sort of spread into sort of that direction Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so when you uh, started podcasting, uh, did you get a lot of people reaching out who you'd uh, met uh, working at these different schools or was it more word of mouth um, from, like you said, the staff um, lounge, how people kind of spread the word uh, for, from those schools that you worked at? Yeah. So to begin with, it was really reaching out to people either that I knew personally um, so I think my first few episodes mm-hmm. were uh, a, a director of a school that I was working at and some people that I've met at a staff mm-hmm. meeting, some that I've met at a conference. Um, some people were sort of friends of friends who sort of then heard. And then each time you release an episode, you've got more to sort of say, look, I'm already started and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. The, the beginning's the hardest bit when you're sort of trying to sort of sell an idea rather than just actually what you've already managed to produce. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so, yeah, and so then it just kind of started to, to grow and then sort of the tables kind of shifted a little bit it went from me trying to have to reach out and find people to people um listening and then finding out about it and then approaching me and asking if they could be on the show and so now it's it's sort of almost gone full circle where there are people that i'd like to speak to and i sort of if i think it'd be a great conversation i can reach out but generally speaking i've got quite a long list of people who are waiting for the next recording sessions to come in which is a great situation to be in because i could really then sort of focus on we're covering a nice range of topics and getting a good sort of conversation for everyone listening mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and do you uh interview people from all walks of life just educators or just musicians so it's all walks of life i mean the music side is kind of my passion but it's kind of 
what that did is it brought out that idea that everyone has their own passion and their own mm -hmm. focus to the journey that they want to go on. So it's education at the centre in terms of what we're doing as educators and people that are helping our children learn. So mm -hmm. it can be a teacher specifically. So it might be we're talking about dyslexia. It might be that it's um, a company that's bringing in the opportunity to learn about AI or it might be a new platform that's doing it. It might be an author that was a teacher that was helping a child in a certain area, maybe about well-being that's doing that. I speak to some people who have um, sort of well-being apps or a part of an organisation that are helping in that way. So if they're helping a child in any particular way, whether it's sort of internally from the education system, often people who were in schools who've sort of broadened out into their passion and their focus who are then sort of shining a light back into it to sort of help people that way kind of really is sort of sort of really where I sort of hit that sort of um, middle ground, I guess. So it's mm -hmm. sort of everyone, everyone has got that kind of uh, community feel for, for helping the child, whether it's your own child or whether it's someone that you're supporting in a school. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, I think everybody has the kids' uh, best interest in at my in mind, right? Whether it comes to a more exposure to music programs or building music programs in certain areas, um, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about uh, a few things that you've done uh, before you started the podcast. So, in the pre-chat, you mentioned to me um, a little bit about starting a music company. Um, and also um, you got a spot on the national council and you're now the vice chair of it. So tell me kind of what these other, um, I would say buckets of uh, just music advocacy are that you work with. Yeah. So, so, so the music education company um, was called rhythmically speaking and that came mm -hmm. out of a conversation I had, I was on tour and I can't remember, I think we might've been in Dublin or somewhere like that. And the trumpet player was a friend of mine. Uh -huh. um, and I, I just started working in the school that he was working in and he'd sort of gone from teaching the trumpet in the school to becoming head of music and was putting this whole program together um, and he said look come along do some rhythm workshops do do some teaching in our school I'm building this sort of amazing community there and we've got these uh, got some great other musicians in there teaching as well so I sort of started doing that and then when we were sort of touring and, and playing playing together we were sort of thinking about some of these things we'd set up in the school were working really well and really mm -hmm. supporting mm -hmm. children both within the music system but also outside of it as well and we said we're not really seeing that in other schools maybe we should set something up where we could offer it into different schools and go in and go and do that and that sort of became the essence of these sort of whole class rhythm workshops which then turned into samba and african drumming and we, we worked out a whole program that we could go and do in person and then leave resource materials we'd record it back in back at that time it was on cds so we'd record mm -hmm. it and then send the cds around so the school could have a recording and the parents could have a recording and the people who had taken part um and it was a fantastic thing and we, and we did it for quite a long time and then there was started to be a shift actually here where some of these music hubs started doing the same sort of thing because they were sort of mm -hmm. realizing that actually when it's cost efficient to sort of teach one or two people in a whole class so you've got one or two sort of musicians in a whole class rather than the one-to-one -one. Mm -hmm. um, and it's also really good for the children because what they're able to do is you take away some of the fear factor because you're doing things in a group so for our samba workshops for example you might have had sort of four or five children doing a, a shaker four or five doing a scraper four or five on a little drum 
four or five one and a go-go bell type thing and you put these really simple rhythms together so they get the enjoyment and the understanding of what that music process is in terms of learning these things and bringing a, a, an ensemble together, but without saying, oh, and here you are, you've got to do this on your own, which we know mm -hmm. can be a little bit daunting. But what we could do is we could bring those elements in and just build those individual things up and there'll be someone who's really confident and said, I'd like to do the big drum and I'd like to do mm -hmm. this. Um, and then more and more we'll do it. So if you go into the school more than once, you know, we, so we'd have a range of like a one-off session or a whole series of sessions. By the end of it, everyone just wants to do everything all the time and building that confidence and everything was a really, really great thing. So that just grew and it just, and we just started in London and then we moved and did them all over the UK, which was absolutely fantastic. And that, that kept going for quite a long time. And then my, my business partner left his school in London and moved away to, um, to Bangkok. So mm -hmm. we decided that that was probably, we could have kind of taken more people on and did it, but we really enjoyed sort of the hands-on version of it. So we thought uh, it sort of come to a natural end sort of from that sort of practical sense. But also, as I said, these music clubs were starting to take this idea into what they were doing as well. So they were they were doing a great job of being able to do that on their own. So it came to a natural sort of conclusion after about sort of 10 years or so. So that, that was a great thing to be able to do in a real sense of being able to bring that sort of musical passion that I had directly into into schools in that way. So that, yeah, that, that was rhythmically speaking, that sort of education company, as it were. And as you mentioned, yeah, the the vice chair situation. I mean, it's, that's for the National Association for Primary Education mm -hmm. here in the UK. And I was very honoured to be able to to be part of that. And that was one of the schools that I was teaching in. The um the then director said to me, "We have a spot on the national council." And she said, "You've been teaching here for a while. We know that you're sort of passionate about education and teaching and that kind of thing. But we're also really keen on that parental view as well, and also mm -hmm. not just being a classroom teacher." But having that one-on-one -on -one music teacher idea of what it's like to be involved in education, but not just in the classroom. So um, they invited me along to a meeting and there was a variety of topics that they were doing. And so I went along and had a great time and they very kindly in invited me to to take part and to be part of the council. And then, yeah, so that's probably about seven years, seven or eight years ago now. So then I sort of gradually got more and more involved to the point where, as she's quite rightly said, I'm vice chair and um, been involved in their sort of virtual summits and various things that they've organized in the last few years. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So um, you told me a little bit um, in the pre-chat also about how um, the UK um, really uh, allocates funding um, to uh, music teachers. Um, so it's quite different than in the U.S. Um, that it's basically um, the music teachers are hired by the county, correct? And then um, the schools will um, ask for a certain amount of um, FTE, full-time equivalent for um, the music program that they have. So how um, how has this changed, I would say, since you were a student? Um, and also, when you were a student, you told me things were free. Um, is it yeah. so free <laughs> when people want to learn to play an instrument? <laughs> yeah, less less free now. I think this is the same for everybody. Uh -huh. Yeah, when I when I was at school, so we're talking well, probably the mid eighties now. Uh -huh. um, one of the things that we were asked to do as we were choosing our our schools was, mm -hmm. did we learn an instrument? And also that this particular school for the first year you had to learn an instrument. So mm -hmm. the head of music from the new school came in and did various exercises. So had me sort of drumming away and blowing a raspberry into a mouthpiece and bowing a stringed instrument mm -hmm. to sort of see what sort of thing worked for you. And I, I was allocated the idea of drumming. And at the time, I was thinking, I just want to play football all the time. I'm not really interested yeah. in music. I've done singing and recorders at primary school, but not so bothered about anything else now. 
but because we had to do it and then our music lessons were basically everyone coming together and forming a wind band mm -hmm. um, much like sort of the american system really i absolutely loved it and these lessons were absolutely free at that particular time yeah. Um, and I enjoyed it so much. I had a great teacher who then offered me some private lessons at a really great rate. And I think the lessons in school were very heavily subsidized. So mm -hmm. it literally cost my parents just a few pounds for each term mm -hmm. just to kind of keep that momentum going. Of course, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy because there were other people in the same situation, which meant the music got great in school. So then the opportunities to perform got better. There were more people. The standard got higher. We started doing residential courses and went into the community doing lots of stuff and it was absolutely amazing but it was only the fact that we had to do it which kind of yeah. gave me that exposure which then became my career which is kind of the amazing thing and why I think it's so important gave me a voice in a way that as a teenager I didn't quite have before but sort mm -hmm. of having something in a musical sense it kind of really 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 worked for me so sort of if you sort of fast forward into when I then started to to do it um sort of probably in sort of the mid and maybe sort of 2014 2015 something mm -hmm. like that the way it started to uh, change was the fact that the the local education authority would originally sort of run this sort of the music side of everything mm -hmm. um and then schools could just buy in you know a drum teacher a violin teacher and that kind of thing and there'd be a sort of a music coordinator within a school that would then look after it maybe do the choir do the ensemble but you get these specialists coming in and a lot of that was heavily subsidized and then bit by bit the the local authorities got less and less funding and then what happened was was these sort of music hub organizations that were part of the council then realized that they would just disappear which is what mm -hmm. was happening around the mm -hmm. country so mm -hmm. they basically formed like music trusts they became their own their own entity um that was was able to function on their own so they sort of set themselves up in that particular way and then the funding that they could hand had could be sort of ring fenced and would be exactly it work in the same kind of way, but they had a little bit more control of their destiny. So mm -hmm. at that point, you have a lot of sort of contracted staff who are drum teachers, violin teachers, or, or doing music in schools, but they're employed by the trust, the sort okay. of music hub, as it were. And then, okay. like you say, the schools can then say, yes, I'd like a violin teacher for an hour a week, or I've got, you know, six pupils who'd like to learn the trumpet, and could someone come in and do a, you know, a day a week of singing? And and they can do it in that way, and they can build it up in a way mm -hmm. that works for the school, and they can expand it in a way which um, really works for them. So then depending on how excited a school is, whether it's a music um, teacher, whether it's the, a head teacher, or someone who's kind of really passionate about music, it can expand in whichever way they can, and in whichever way they can afford because it still costs some money and often those get passed on to the parents but mm -hmm. there are various parts of um parts of funding these days depending on your sort of social economic background that kind of gives you some kind of free options as well depending if you can be supported mm -hmm. so um if uh let's say a, a musician starts a program um, like a guitar program at a school, uh, you know, uh, out of these hubs, um, do those musicians usually stay at the school for more than a year? Or this podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. You can find out more at teachbetter.com slash podcast. Now let's get back to the episode. Or is there a lot of turnover? No, they can stay there for a long time. I think, I mean, if, if, we, if we're thinking that they might start from, start from scratch, it might be 
that they go in and they do maybe say six weeks or so of of everybody in a particular class learning guitar or ukulele mm -hmm. they often start off here doing mm -hmm. that so everyone gets a chance to play and then normally off the back of that they then say right we have the opportunity for this teacher to continue. If you'd like to have sort of individual or small group lessons, we can organize that as well. So those particular people would then sign up and then you sort of got a member of staff that's there. And of course you kind of get used to these relationships. So hopefully the majority of those pupils that started would play for the rest of their sort of school career, as it were, during that particular school. And then each year you'd hopefully bring some from the younger years coming through as well. And then it just starts to grow because, you know, children see something amazing then they see the guitar group playing a concert or get the chance to perform in assembly and they go i want to be part of that as well and so it sort of naturally grows and becomes the sort of positive energy within the school which can then be celebrated and and that's kind of the the nucleus of how these things start and it takes a long time to get yeah. going but it's obviously really successful when it does. It's much quicker for it to be dismantled, which is why when there's a change of focus or a change of head or a change of policy within a school, um, it it's, can be a shame when that sort of disappears quite quickly. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So um, like I mentioned, um, it's really just getting the kids interested um, when they're young, right? It's uh, exposing yep. them to instruments. It's making sure um, where you live, there's uh, interest, there's a community involvement, um, you know, the kids find something they like doing, right? There's, um, where I live, there's a little bit of exposure in grade uh, four to multiple instruments. Um, they have it in music class, but also they, they have kids try out just different instruments so they can maybe be in the, the orchestra, um, at the end of elementary school before they go to middle school. But, um, it's really just making sure that there is the opportunity for those kids from that young age, Right. Um, because the, just like uh, languages, um, the younger you learn instruments, right, the the better you'll get. Absolutely. That's it. And, and I think the other thing is it really is that sort of catching net, you know, because yeah. it might be that your parents are musical, in which case mm -hmm. they'll have the opportunity to give you private lessons or be part of an ensemble that can support you in that. Mm -hmm. In my particular situation, you know, my parents weren't musical so it it was the school exposure and, and environment that gave me that and I think that's the important thing like say that sort of breadth of experience whether it's languages whether it's sport whether it's music whatever it happens to be mm -hmm. you from that you get a sense of this is something that's speaking to me in a way and if I'm excited about it and I want to put the time and the effort in have those relationships with the teachers that are involved I think that just becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy of excitement in in your learning and your your growth as you're going through education and I think that's a real a real great starting point mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so I wanted to ask you a little bit about the um, YouTube uh, live broadcasts um, so you said um, we're recording now at the beginning of September but you will be starting those um, around September 12th correct? Yeah, that's it. Once we sort of get into September, I just mm -hmm. decided that the, the, the way to do it, um, because I'd sort of done live streams into my Facebook group and I've done live um, podcasts on YouTube, but sort of ad hoc when mm -hmm, sort of people mm -hmm. weren't able to record for the podcast audio only. Um, I kind of made that available and, and enjoyed it more and more and more. And, and as we know, I think one of the successful things about podcasts is one, it's on demand, but the fact that you kind of know when the next one is coming out. So you kind mm -hmm. of pitch your week and your, and your, your sort of working commute maybe, or whatever it is when, when you want to listen. And I thought actually having a regular spot on, um, it's going to be on a Tuesday night uh, mm -hmm. about half past seven here in the UK. 
and and just where I'm going to be here. So I can talk a little bit about podcasts that's been released on the audio side of it earlier in the week. Mm-hmm. Talk about uh, an older podcast that people may not have seen because, like I say, we were 350 odd episodes. There, there are lots there that can, that can get lost or you might not come across. So bringing some of those out of the archives in terms of sort of showing what they are, maybe some of the resources. And then people who want to come on and they're happy for it to be live streamed and take part in an interview in that same kind of way. But like I said, rather than me being the focus of everything in terms of bringing those questions in people watching can can ask questions in the chat and i can bring that chat onto the screen and ask those questions for them and we can kind of have a little bit of a to and fro and have more of that community experience so yeah that, that's the aim of that okay great great well i'll make sure i put the links in the show notes so people can access that and subscribe and uh, see what you're talking about and are you thinking of doing it kind of based on a theme a monthly theme or maybe a, a season of different um ideas or have you gotten that far in your planning yeah I, th- I think one of the things i'm excited about is that um from like i said having sort of batched the audio podcast we could be mm-hmm. talking about something relevant today but it might not go out for a couple of months or, or mm-hmm. so and so it then becomes less relevant so one of the things i wanted to do is just kind of have this idea of maybe being able to talk this week about something that's been in the news recently so mm-hmm. for example one of the big things here in the uk this week is the fact that there's problems with some of our schools in terms of some of the concrete construction which has now caused some issues and they're having mm-hmm. to bring temporary classrooms in and some schools aren't opening at the beginning of the school year and so i could talk about that on the audio podcast but you might not hear it for a little while whereas mm-hmm. the the thing about being reactive would be fantastic so i think being a little bit reactive to the here and now answering some of those questions sharing some of those thoughts um and then like i said been able to just sort of make sure people are aware of the of the podcast that's gone live that week but also that bringing the sort of the the archived ones in as well especially if there's some great resources or some some things that um educators have been able to share that you know they've shared it once i want to make sure that people who sort of come across education on fast since then still make sure that they get the opportunity to hear all that great information and share those resources too mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that's a great way to get that community involvement, like you said, those um, bringing up something that's going on that people know about and like ideas that they might have <laughs> or what they're doing to work around the problem. <laughs> well, it's yeah, been a- exactly. I mean, yeah. I've- Go ahead. I think it's that that sense of just sort of being a conduit, really. You know, uh-huh. I, I sort of. I like being having that sort of ability just to be able to sort of connect people, bring mm-hmm. bring out their the things that they're passionate about, and yeah, just sort of if I can make that part of people watching live as well as being able to do that, like I say, for the here and now when we're just chatting, I think it's a it should be an exciting thing to do. I think it's like I said, it's that performance element I quite liked from that that musical background. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, it's been a great um, conversation today about um, your career and how you've. Um, worked in uh, many schools, just helping uh, kids learn instruments, uh, working with uh, percussion ensembles, uh, both from the the young age to um, kids that are about to go on to university. Out of everything we've talked about today, what's one thing you'd like listeners to remember? I think the biggest thing for people to remember, and it's it's something that comes up quite a lot um, when I'm chatting to people, is you think it's the the nitty gritty of what you're Mm -hmm. teaching children that makes the big difference but so often I've just been told that actually it's the way that a student remembers a teacher making them feel or the fact they suddenly felt seen they felt understood taking the time to understand a little bit about them beyond the classroom 
And I think just realizing that every little conversation that you have, every little bit of interest, every little connection you have gives that. And it's a real kind of starting point for a child to take a little bit of ownership of what they're able to do and how they can grow going forward. And I think while we might all like sort of a silver bullet wholesale change of education yeah. in some form or another, um, I think just knowing that every day you make a difference just by those meaningful comments, conversations and connections, then I, th I think each day then you're making a big difference. Yeah, it's so important. Um, where can people connect with you and find you online? So educationonfire.com is the website and obviously all the podcasts are there. Um, and then you can find me if you search for Education on Fire on your favorite podcast app, um, it should pop up there. Um, Education on Fire on Facebook, um, that's the place to, where you can find my page and you can also then find through there the um, private groups should you want to sort of connect more and give us the opportunity to sort of have more of a conversation in, in that sort of private forum. Great, great. I'll make sure I put those in the show notes. Well, thank you so much for being my guest on the Out of the Trenches podcast today. It was a pleasure having you on and talking music. Oh, Donna, thank you so much. It's a, always a pleasure to be able to speak to people from across the world. Keep up the great work. I, I just think people hearing these stories about their struggles, but also their passions and how they've worked through that, such an important message. So yeah, thanks very much indeed. My book, Out of the Trenches, Stories of Resilient Educators, has now been published. You can access it through Amazon. You can buy it at the Road to Awesome website, or you can get it through my website at danagoodier.com. Please re leave a review, and you can also access it on Kindle. Check out the show notes on danagoodier.com to learn more about this guest and links to their social media. Please subscribe share, rate, and review wherever you download this podcast. Tell your friends and colleagues about it. And if this episode resonates, especially with you, be sure to share it out on social media and tag me at Out of Trenches PC.